Numbers, chapter 21. We'll talk to you a little bit about tonight. We're going to teach, but as is our custom, the Holy Spirit will come and then we'll end up preaching. But I think we'll be teaching. So we'll see what happens. I know he gave me a word for you early this morning. And, uh, and let's just begin with, uh, where do we want to begin, Marty? Let's start here in verse 16. Numbers 21, 16. We're going to back up after I read this, but, and we'll finish here. Numbers chapter 21, verse 16. When you're there, say amen. Hallelujah. Are we uh, recording this? All right. This goes out over the worldwide internet, and we have thousands of people that actually listen, believe it or not. So we're praying for them and be praying for the recordings uh, because they emit from this church. And they go around the world. They really do. So uh, here we go. Verse 16, uh, beginning with the 16th verse, chapter 21. Here we go. And from hence they went to Beer. That is the well whereof the Lord spoke unto Moses. Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Read that again. And from thence they went to Beer, that is the well whereof the Lord spoke unto Moses, gather the people together, and I will give them water. That is what we're endeavoring to do this week, right? We are gathering together, and the Father promises to give us water. Now, verse 17 says, then Israel sang this song, spring up, O well. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sing ye unto it. To what? The well. Sing to the well. He says, sing unto the well. And then he says this, the princes dig the well. The nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver. With their staves or their staffs in their hand. From the wilderness, they went to Matanah. And from Matanah to Nachaliel, from Nachaliel to Batmoth, from Batmoth into the valley that is in the country of Moab to the top of Pisgah, which looketh toward Jeshmon. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Now, I want you to look at this in verse, uh, let's go back to uh, verse 4. Let's take a look at verse 4 of chapter 21. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to the compass to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Let's read that again. It said, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread and neither is there any water. And our soul loathes this light bread. They're complaining about the manna again. And, the Lord, and look what happens as a result of this. The Lord sends fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. Oh, my God, I hate snakes. <laughs> but these are a particular kind of serpent. 
and, and, and much of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto the Lord that he would take away these serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now check this out. So he's praying for the people, and this is what the Lord says to Moses. Make a fiery serpent. You make it, Moses. A fiery serpent. Set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon the serpent on the pole, he shall live. So Moses made a serpent of brass. He put it on the pole, and it came to pass that if a certain serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessing. I pray that you would minister to your people. We thank you for the worship and the presence of thy spirit amongst thy people. Holy Spirit, help us to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, to do no violence to your word. Grant thy blessing amongst thy people, and upon this week, O Lord, may your holy presence rest. May you gather the city together. May you gather your people in this house, that you may give them water. For only you can, O Father, and we ask of you that you would. And so, Father, we bless thee, we worship thee, we glorify thee, and we pray for all those that are listening around the world by way of the internet, that they and their houses would be blessed as well. May the Lord Jesus be magnified and all God's people said, amen and amen. It's a, it's a really curious story uh, because one of the things that we need to understand about the principles of the word of God is that it teaches us in the book of Corinthians that all the things that historically happened in the past to Israel were meant to be instructional to us. In essence, they're not only to teach us personally how we should act, but they also predict the future. So wrapped up in the nation of Israel were types, if you will, shadows, allegories of the prophetic end of time or the end of days. And so when we see in these stories uh, these particular incidents that, that the Holy Spirit takes great pains to point out every single detail, it is incumbent upon us to learn from these things and to grow thereby so that we can understand the progression of our walk. All right, so I want to bring you up to speed because those of you who know, we are now entering in and are in the middle of Passover week right now, right? The, the, the world calls it Easter, but, but really it's Passover week. Passover told the story of how the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt by what? By a lamb, right? And there, were, there were 10 plagues that were exercised upon Egypt. Egypt was the greatest power the world had ever seen. Egypt was so steeped into the occult and the dark arts that literally a shadow of darkness and evil hovered over the people and infused them with a demonic hatred for the Jewish people. They, they, they placed them into cruel and hard slavery and became their taskmasters, even destroying the generations that were yet to come, casting the firstborn into the Nile, uh, the Nile River and destroying them. But it was at this time, the Bible tells us, that God heard the cry of his people, that it reached into heaven. And so he stirs up his servant Moses and he sends him back. You know the story of the burning bush, right? Where he goes to the burning bush and, 
God says, go and tell Pharaoh uh, to let my people go. And, and Moses obeys and he goes back to Egypt and he brings the people out. But the night that they were delivered, the Bible tells us that, that God had instructed Moses to tell each and every person to get themselves a lamb, a spotless lamb, that their deliverance would come as a result of this lamb, for the lamb would have to be slain. The blood would be poured of the lamb into a basin and they would take hyssop and they were to put the blood over the doorpost of their house. Because in effect, the Lord had said that the death angel was going to pass through the world or Egypt that night. And that only those that were behind the door with the blood on the house, when that angel came through Egypt and he sees the blood, he says, I will pass over you. Hallelujah. See, we're not saved by our works, by our religion, or by anything that we do, but we are saved by the precious blood of the Lamb. That's what that Lamb spoke about. Whether you realize it or not, when we were in the world, we were actually in slavery. We were born into it. Paul says, I was sold under sin. In other words, when I came into this world out of my mother's womb, I already was owned by someone, a Pharaoh, if you will. His name was Satan. I had no power to make decisions for myself. I may have thought I did, but I was simply deluded. The truth of the matter is, is I was owned lock, stock, and barrel by the devil. This is the story of the gospel. I could not free myself, but there was one who would come, as they showed in the Lamb of the Passover, who would free me. He would have to give his life, shed his blood, and when the devil now tries to attack me, he can't because the blood is applied to my life. Can you say amen somebody, right? So... <laughs> So, <laughs> hallelujah. So he leads them out, and they come out with a mighty hand. And you know the story. They come to the Red Sea, right? And, and, and obstacles are in front of them, and, and they're freaking out, thinking Pharaoh's going to come and destroy them, right? That's how it is when we get saved, right? Everything's great. We're happy. We're free for the first time. We actually hear the birds singing, and the trees even look greener, and the grasses, you know, all that stuff, right? I can smell the flowers. The sky's blue. I mean, everything's wonderful. But then all of a sudden, I'm led to a place where uh, I'm confronted by an, uh, an immovable obstacle. Huh? There's two reasons for that. One, he wants to display his power to destroy the enemy. In other words, the enemy of our life. But he also wants us to recognize that there ain't no way that I can go through to the other side unless the Lord who saved me brings me through. See, we're saved, and then he always brings us to water after we're saved. Hmm? Hallelujah. <laughs> so we know the story. They go through everything. You know, God destroys Pharaoh and all that kind of thing. But then they get over on the other side, and because of their unbelief, after two years, he leads them to the very edge of the promised land. They get there, and then they freak out. Because they come back, they send the 12 spies into the promised land, and, and they, they spy out the land. They go, yes, truly is a land flowing with milk and honey, but my goodness, there are giants over there. And, and we're like grasshoppers uh, in their sight. And, and, and yeah, it's true. I mean, they, they came back carrying these massive, uh, big old grapes on, they took on a pole. You know, the grapes were so huge, the land was flowing with milk and honey. But they brought back an evil report, and it mixed among the congregation, and they all began to cry and weep and say, we can't do it. They lost faith in God. See, it so angered God because they refused to believe, even though he had delivered them with such a mighty hand, that he was not going to let them go in. But what he said was that every person that is 20 years old and under, 
they're going to go in. As for you who I brought out, you're going to die in this wilderness. Now, this brings us up to Numbers 21, where, we, where we've been reading tonight. Because it's been some 38 years. They're coming to the very end of their wilderness journey. Many of them have died. There's only a few left. If you look, and you can read it later in your own, but in chapter 20, it gives the description of how Moses comes to this rock, which he had once before, years before, had, had hit with his rod, remember, and the water came gushing out. The Bible tells us, Paul says, that rock was Christ. He was that spiritual drink that followed them in the wilderness. So great was that rock. See, we're talking about prophecy, remember, hidden things in the Old Testament. Those of you that are familiar with these stories, when they began to cry out for thirst, again, they needed water, right? And so what does he do? He leads him to a rock and he tells Moses, take your staff, Moses, and hit it. This giant rock. I mean, it's not a little rock. It's probably as big as this church, this rock, from what I've read. And when he hit it, it split the rock and out of it came waters enough for over two million people and their cattle to be satisfied in the wilderness. A type of our Lord who would be hit and struck by God, but as a result, out of him would flow rivers of living water. That's what we need. In him, we were just singing it earlier, he's all I need. Jesus is all we need. Well, yeah, I know that, Brother Marty, but I really don't, uh, you know, that's all right and all that, but that's a little extreme. No, it isn't. That is what you need. If you're living down here when up here is available, then something's wrong. If your religion is, is just that, a religion, then there's something wrong. The truth of the matter is, is that God brings us out in order to bring us into something. He wanted to bring them into a land that flowed with milk and honey. When you accepted Christ, your journey began. He's bringing us to something. Hallelujah. So they began to fail. When, and and, and near, at the end of the 38 years, in, in chapter 20, it says that the people began to complain again that they needed water. So he tells Moses, go speak to the rock and it will give you water. Moses, in his hate and his anger for the people being so, such grumblers after 38 years, rather than speaking to the rock as God had commanded him, he hit the rock twice. Remember what Paul said, that they openly crucify the Lord of glory afresh, and therefore there's no salvation for that group of people. Uh, you can read it in Hebrews chapter 5, I believe it's 4 and 5. So, as a result of this, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. And when you come to the conclusion of chapter 20 of Numbers here, you'll see, so was Aaron, the high priest, his brother, unable to go into the promised land because of Moses' sin. Now, we're talking prophetically now, and I know we have a mixed congregation here and those listening by way of the Internet. But, but listen, you study these things on your own. These are deeper things I'm about to share with you. Now, listen, this is a prophetic type of Israel herself in the last days. First, she would experience a shifting of her priesthood. The law would be a done away with, represented by Moses. The priesthood or the Levitical way of approaching God would be done away with as a result of their sin. They would not be able to enter in 
Israel would no longer come under the law or come under the leadership of the Levitical priesthood as a result of their rejection of Christ. They smote him and they were not able to enter in. And so here we come, the priesthood has already begun to change hands. Now listen, this is very important and this is also prophetic if you listen to me, because one generation was coming to an end. A generation that was not allowed to go into the fullness of what God had for it. And another generation is about to experience what the generation before it should have experienced. What God is saying to us is that as we come to the close of humanity's history and his children that are appointed to go in to the promised land, so to speak, there would be a shift in leadership. There would be a doing away of an old generation that failed to, if you will, enter into the promised land or obey the commandments of God. Now, what happens in this story and where we picked it up was that he takes them through the wilderness. Now, I'm speaking prophetically now. This is some grown-up stuff now. It says that in verse 4, that he brings them to the land of Edom and makes them go around it. In other words, he didn't take them by a direct route. There was something that remained, Edom, the land of Edom. Who is Edom, Brother Marty? Edom is, or what would become, the Roman Empire. They are the descendants of Esau. If you know your Bible, uh, there were two brothers, right? Jacob and Esau. Esau would, would surrender his birthright and his descendants would become ultimately the Roman Empire. So in this, we have a type or a prophecy that's occurring here that Israel would not be able to enter in, but that she would have to go around an empire before she would be in position to enter in. All right. Get the tape. So... What happens? They begin to speak against God and against Moses. This is what Israel did. They didn't want what God had for them, the way he had it. They spoke against the leadership, if you will. They did not want what the law pointed to. So the Bible emphasizes here that they spoke against God and they spoke against Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Do you remember when Jesus was here, they kept saying, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? It's been so long. And, and, and what do they go on to say at the bottom of that verse? They say, uh, we have no bread and no water. Well, that's not true. Right? But it's not the kind of bread and water they wanted. The water they got was a spiritual drink from the rock, which was a type of Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. The bread they got was the bread that came from heaven, spiritual meat. For 40 years, not one of them grew old. Not one of their material needs went unmet. Their, their clothes, imagine, their clothes grew on them. Some of them were children when they came out of Israel. Forty years later, they're 40-something years old, and all that time, they never had to go to the mall of Egypt to buy a change of clothes. 
<laughs> the Bible says their foot never swelled. They never got sick. What killed them was their rebellion. See, what we learn from this is they say, oh, we ain't got no bread, we ain't got no water. What does that speak of? They're looking for natural bread and natural water. That which produces a satisfaction that comes from the flesh. Because if you're going to walk with Christ, honey, you're going to go on to deeper things of the Spirit. You're going to eat from the heavenly table. You're going to be fed with the heavenly manna, which is Christ. You're going to drink from the heavenly fountain. That is our satisfaction. But if we're not careful, what we will look at is the natural world, and that's what they did. And it will become an abhorrence to you, that is, the things of God, if you don't allow Him to bring you to the place that He wants you to be. It'll become a burden to you. You will no longer savor the joy of the presence of God in your life. But you'll begin to seek for satisfaction in the things that are temporary and not eternal. He says, they said what? We loathe this light bread, this bread from heaven. This is also a picture of humanity in the garden. Two types of bread. The bread of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The bread of life. Man chose the bread of the natural, of good and evil, and they rejected the bread of life. This light bread that comes from heaven. And as a result, it says, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they were bitten, and much of the people of Israel died. This is the penalty for sin. This is what happened in the garden when they partook of the natural bread, if you will, when they partook of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered into mankind and humanity. They were, in essence, bitten by that serpent. The Bible says much people died. And in my research, reading behind the rabbis, they said that the, the, the people that died as a result of these serpents biting them were the remaining thousands who had yet to die just before they go into the promised land as God foretold that they would. And so they're bitten. Not all, but many. But all of humanity has been bitten by a serpent, a fiery serpent. A serpent is unlike any other creature. A lion claws his prey to death, right? A wolf bites it and eats it. But a serpent will bite for the sake of biting to inflict nothing more than death. That happy note. We were bitten. And, and if you get into the Hebrew and, and you read behind what the rabbis say, he said they specify a fiery serpent because what happened when they were bitten was not only did they physically die, but a fire of consumption attached itself to their soul and their spirit. It was an absolute destruction. And that's what sin will do to you and me. It will absolutely and completely destroy us. It may not seem like something that at the moment when my attention is taken away from the heavenly to the carnal or the natural, but if I persist in this and begin to abhor the things that lead to my glorious life in Him, I am actually opening the door, if you will, to be bitten by a fiery serpent. 
and it will cost you your life. Now listen, he says, he says therefore, the, after this happened in verse 7, it says, the people came to Moses and they said, we've sinned. Your first way out is repentance. All right? Uh, For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord says to Moses, make a fiery serpent and put it on a pole. Now, those of you who know the word of God know that this is a type of the cross of Jesus Christ, right? Notice who had to make the pole and the fiery serpent. It was Moses. Why is that? What is that a type of, Brother Marty? The scripture was prophesying that it would be the law that brings judgment. And it would be Moses, the representative of the law, who had to make this cross, if you will. For the Bible tells us that Jesus, what? Became sin for us. And though they could not see it, and though it would be another 2,000 some years before he would appear, God would put... Uh, Jesus on a cross and raise him up for all humanity to see. And for Israel, he put a serpent on this pole and lifted it up for everyone to see. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 14? Somebody turn over there real quick. Anybody know their Bible good enough to get there? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's 17. Close. 14. And as Moses did what? Lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What? My God. That was Jesus on that pole. And he's speaking to Nicodemus a member of the Sanhedrin, an exclusive member and elder in the nation of Israel, and takes him back to this event we're talking about and tells him it was prophetic of me. It was preaching about me. He goes on to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Through him. Now, notice what happens here. He puts him on a pole, and, and he says, uh, when he, verse 8, when he looketh upon it, he shall live. Isn't that interesting? For we are saved not by what we do, he didn't say, okay, now if they gather around it and like they burn candles to Mary, and no, he didn't say any of that stuff. This is an act of faith. We're dying. My soul is consuming me. We're being bit by snakes. Help. Pray to God. Tell him to take away these serpents. What's he doing? Moses. He's over there making a serpent out of copper. Has he lost his mind? They're running. They're being bitten. My God. What are you doing? <laughs> That's what humanity says to God today. What are you doing? To the Greek, it's foolishness, the cross. 
Huh? To the Jew, it's a stumbling block because they were looking for a David, a Solomon. Not a serpent on a pole. So great was the love of Christ and what God was trying to give us a picture of and Israel at the time was that he would become the very thing he would take upon himself the penalty. He would allow himself to be stricken to the point that he became sin for us. He took upon himself the sin of the world. And God, as we just read it, spoke through Jesus to Nicodemus. He said, look, go back to the story, Nicodemus, and understand, as Moses lifted up that serpent, I'm going to be lifted up. And he says, <laughs> we're talking about faith now, right? All, verse 8, all that look upon it shall live. This is not a, a religious act. First, they had to believe that if they looked at it, they would live. It requires faith, for by faith you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now listen, he goes on to say, and Moses made a serpent of brass, verse 9, he put it on the pole, and it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, that when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So he lifted it up, and if they looked to it, they lived. If you look to Christ, you shall live. If you think you haven't been bitten, just let someone make you mad and we'll see what, how much devil is in you, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> look to Christ. Now, there's so much in here, but I'm going to hurry and close here in about five minutes. Now, look. So that let's get to where we're talking about. So what was he telling Israel? Before you can truly inherit the promised land, there first will come a cross. The cross. After the cross, another event is going to take place. But the cross must come first. And that brings us to the 16th verse. He then says, uh, in verse 16, he says, And from there they went to Beer, which means a well, and that is the well where the Lord told Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. So after the cross, they come to a place of the well, and the instruction is, let them gather themselves together. Brothers, and sisters, somebody read the book of Acts to me, chapter 2, verse 1. Quickly, quickly. Boring you? All right, you're awful quiet in this Presbyterian church. They were all in one accord and gathered in what? One place. And what were they waiting for? The water. Check this out, because all that generation had now died as a result of their rejection of the cross, but those who were bitten uh, and lived that were outside of that generation that would pass away, they lived. Israel would be destroyed because of her rejection of God, but a, a remnant would come out 
who would look at the cross. And the first place he leads them to is to the well, or to be gathered into one place in one accord and to wait from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would come. From there they went to Beard. That, that, that is the well where the Lord spoke to Moses and said, get the people together. Jesus said, gather the people and, and they were all in one place and one accord. And what? If they will get there, tarry ye here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Right? Jesus said, if any man thirst, huh, let him come unto me and I will give him what? Rivers of living what? Water. This is what God is saying. After this pole is lifted up, a type of the cross, and, and you are healed and, and the serpent's bite no longer has effect on you, I need to take you immediately to the well. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God, right? I don't know about all this Holy Spirit stuff. Well, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> if God thinks it's important for us, I think uh, we better pay attention. It's not enough to have just an experience at the cross. You need the well. All the people. Notice what he said, just part of the people. He said, gather like half of the people together, verse 16. Gather, gather three quarters of the people together. No, he didn't say that. He said, gather the people, all of them together, and I will give them water. And this is what happens. Israel sings a song, spring up, O well. Hallelujah. They were all in one accord and in one place. They were crying out to God, right? Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well, and give to me that life abundantly. Oh, I got a river of life flowing out from me. Oh, it makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Oh, I love this part. It opens prison doors, sets the captive free. Oh, I've got a river of life. Flowing now from me. Sing it, church. I got a river of life flowing out from me. Come on, somebody. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captive free. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well. Sing it. Within my soul, spring up away and make me whole. Spring up away and give to me that life abundantly. That life, that life abundantly. One more time, that life. Somebody ought to praise him tonight. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. 
Two minutes. Two minutes. So they be, that's what they say. They began to sing. Hallelujah. <laughs> they began to sing. He said, sing to it. The water comes when you worship. The water flows when you worship. Hallelujah. <laughs> you don't need Prozac. You need to worship. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So look, so look. And, what, and what, what he says, what they begin to sing, verse 18, they begin to be taken into a, an explanation of the gospel. Verse 18 says, the princes dig the well. The princes dig the well. This is a reference to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They digged it. They searched it out. Is literally what that word means. To dig means to search the place they would find the well. How many wells did Abraham dig, if you know your Bible? <laughs> a lot, right? A lot of wells. Isaac went. See, when Abraham died, they, they, they covered those wells that he dug, right? My God, yeah. That's what they're trying to do to us today. Oh, come on. I know it's not Friday night yet, but, but that's what they're trying to do to us today. They're trying to cover those wells. They don't want you to drink from the wells of salvation. They don't want you to drink from the wells of the Holy Spirit. They don't want you to dig deep into the wells of intercession. You don't hear what I'm telling you. They cover them up. They pass their laws. They become politically correct. They cover your wells. But God said, sing to it. Hallelujah. 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 You don't hear what I'm saying to you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sing to that well. Sing to it. And suddenly, uh, that, that, that little start rattling around on top of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. So they sing to it. And, and they begin to declare it was our fathers who, who sought it out. Well, we're talking about it. They begin to sing. See, once your sins are forgiven, you are no longer uh, infected with, with the bite of the devil. You're free. And he brings you to the place of water. And it's there that revelation begins to flow. It's why when you got saved, for the first time in your life, you could say, I get it. I used to think you knuckleheads over there in the church were crazy. But now I get it. Hallelujah. Now I'm crazier than I used to be. <laughs> Hallelujah. I get it. I get it. Come to the well. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He, no, it was God who commanded, bring him to the well. Hallelujah. From destruction to deliverance. Bring him to the well. So they begin to sing prophetically. Our fathers, they searched him out. And the nobles, this speaks of, 
of many saints and prophets through the ages, but really of the 12 apostles, the nobles, the heads of the tribes, the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles. They excavated it. That's what the, the second word it dig means. It means they excavated the well. They, but how did they excavate it? This is cool. Look at this. They did it at the direction of the lawgiver. Notice how it doesn't mention Moses anymore. Because the lawgiver, the rightful judge now, is the one that just a few chapters ago or verses ago was hanging on the pole. But now all things in heaven and earth belong to him. And he commands that the lawgiver commands them what to do. This is Jesus speaking, if you can see it. It says, they dug it by the direction of the lawgiver with what? They're staves. It's a reflection of the cross. It is the cross that allows you to excavate the place where the presence of God will fill your soul. I could go on for a long time on that, but we won't. But look what happens. And from the wilderness, are you there, verse 18? And from the wilderness, they went to Matanah. And that's where I'm going to hurry up, so, so, so listen really close. Matanah, in the wilderness of this world. Hello. We're saved by the serpent on the pole. Immediately after that, we're taken to the well so that we can have water. This is something that has been being handed down from generation to generation that goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, down through the centuries to the 12 apostles and to the church, the, the 12 foundations built upon the cross. That's what excavates it and pours the water forth in the wilderness. This world has been a wilderness. I'm looking for deliverance. And Lord, I've never been this homesick before. How's it going? I see the bright light shine just about home time. Oh, yeah. And I can see the Father standing by the door. I'm just here by myself having fun. All right. So, so listen, listen. It's, it's the cross down through the ages. It's, it's, from, it's been handed down from generations to generations. And in the wilderness of this world, matana, right? That's what it says. Matana. That is the gift of God brought about by the sacrificial offering. That's literally what that word means. A gift of God given in the wilderness, the wilderness, the type of the world, brought about by the sacrificial offering, that which we're celebrating this week, and it is produced by the Holy Spirit. It is gift and gifts, plural, 
For the gifts of the Spirit have been given to us as a result of that pole that was lifted up in the wilderness. And our elders who brought the gospel to us and bring us to the well of revelation and salvation, the gift of God is the Spirit. Once we receive the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit, now I'm hurrying, we're going to pass you people. So they go from matana, from the initial feeling, filling to nahaliel. Check this out. This is awesome. Now you receive the Spirit, but then he leads you to nahaliel. You know what that means? A torrent of God. <laughs> it, it, it means the mighty God. It means rivers. An absolutely unstoppable flow from God. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I thought all I was going to have was a little 12-ounce bottle of Dasani, and now he's talking about rivers, my God. Hallelujah. Well, I, I felt like I got the Holy Ghost once. Well, you look like a, like a little creek. Something's wrong. You're a trickle, kind of like in the winter, you know, when those little tiny big waterfalls, they become this little, little trickle. He wants you to have a torrent. He's not satisfied with giving you the initial gift of the drink from on high. He wants you to go from there to something much more profound. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Living water. Hallelujah. Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me. I'll give it to him. And it'll be a perpetual spring of life flowing out of him. A torrent. Ezekiel saw it as rivers of water to swim in. Oh, my God. He leads you from the initial experience, but he wants it to be produced in us to a point of an absolute flow, a tsunami-like flow of divine power out of us. Wilderness. The wilderness is this world. God's children are supposed to be different than the world. That's the trouble with the church today. You walk into most church houses today and you can't tell the difference between them and the world. The messages you hear are, are nothing more than psychoanalysis. Everything is me-centered instead of God-centered. Everything's about my bread in this life and my water in this life. Oh, God, give us a flow of the Holy Ghost from on high. Let him pour out into your soul till it becomes a torrential pouring out of his spirit through your life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He takes you from the initial gift to a torrent. He wants to lead you there. If you're not there, then you're living far below what that serpent on the pole meant. He not only saved you, he not only delivered you from the bite of the serpent, but now he's giving you right to the rivers that flow in heaven themselves. And he doesn't want you just to have an initial experience of that gift. He wants it to flow out of you 
so that you are no longer concerned with the limited possibility of your own self, but suddenly that which flows out of you begins to affect everything around you so that when you walk in, dead plants turn green, my God. Hallelujah. Dead churches come alive. <laughs> Ice cubes in refrigerators melt when you walk by. <laughs> my Lord. So, so listen to this. So they go from, from the gift to the torrential outpouring. It also means, in the root word of it, it means strength from the belly. Hallelujah. Strength from the belly, the strength of a ram. That's what it means when you dig into all the roots. That's how far we are living below the flow. Help us, Lord. I want more. More of him. More of you. More of you. Jesus is more of you. Of things definitely had my fill. And yet I hunger, hunger, hunger still, empty and bare, Lord, hear my prayer, more of you. Closing with this, something beautiful in this story happens, the outpouring of the Spirit. From there they're led to high places. Those high places were the high places of Baal. You can keep playing if you don't mind, more of you. The high places of Baal is where he'll take you to next. To confront the demonic power of this world in the sphere of your influence. Not everybody's going to be a preacher, a teacher, or whatever. But where you are, right where you are, becoming a significant force and threat by reason of him who lives on the inside of you to the kingdom of darkness in this world. It's where he leads you to the high place. First the pole, then the filling of the gift in the middle of your wilderness to a mature believer flowing with a river, a torrent of God. And he takes you to where darkness is oppressing your neighbor, your loved one, all up in the middle of your marriages, whatever it may be. Because now you're equipped to deal with it. He'll take you into the valley of Moab. Now listen. This also spoke of the fact that the cross would come, the outpouring would come, and the gospel would begin to go forward into the world. But that generation of that time, some 2,000 years ago, they would go down into the valley of Moab. And if you get into the Hebrew words, I ain't got time to get into all this tonight, but you can search it out yourself. What does this typify? That the early church, if you will, would receive the gospel on Calvary, would then be taken 
to the day of Pentecost where they would be filled with the Spirit. They would become a, an unstoppable force that could come against all the high forces of demonic activity in this world and take the gospel to the ends of the earth, which is what they did. But they died. And, 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 and that's what he was prophesying. They died they didn't stay there. Their bodies stayed there. But it says, if you keep reading, that they were lifted up to the top of Pisgah. Right? So even though that generation would pass away, their spirits would, would be taken up to the top. And if you get Rosh, the head, or if you get into the Hebrew, it literally means they would rise above the heights of the stars to Pisgah, which means the cleft of the rock, which is Jesus. And from there, it says they would look over Jeshman. Jeshman means a desolate wilderness. And what that is saying is what Paul told us in the book of Hebrews, that we are now compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. It means that they were peering through a window. That's also what it means to be at the top of Pisgah. It's as if they're looking over the portal and the grand staircases of the dimension of eternity itself. And they're looking down on the wilderness of this world because without us, they could never have been perfected. But together, our generation, their generation, and everybody who's been in between are about to be gathered together and go into the promised land. That's where we are. They're looking over. This world is still a wilderness. But we have a gift of God. We have the cross. We have the resurrection. We have the Holy Spirit. Let's cross over to that place where the torrent of God's water flows through us and we become a powerful tool in the hand of our God to affect the high places of the demonic portals of this world and bring them down in Jesus name hallelujah amen glory to God can you say amen alright would you stand to your feet glory to God Hallelujah. Thomas, would you help me sing that song? More of you. More of you. Him for that gift in the wilderness. Ask him for the water from on high. Let him refresh you and strengthen you. Rekindle that relationship you have with him. Become more than you thought you could be. He's calling and he wants to fill you with himself. Lord, hear my prayer. I'm going to pray for you now. Those of you listening around the world by internet, right where you are, wherever your journey is, maybe you feel like you're being afflicted by one of those serpents. Look to the pole. Look to Calvary. For therein will you be set free.
and you can go to the well, which is the Spirit of God, which has been handed down from generation to generation, has now come to you right where you are here at the end of the age. Receive the gift of the Spirit. Receive the gift of salvation. And then begin to allow him to flow out of you to what comes out of you is mightier than any river, more powerful than any ocean or wave, the Holy Spirit of God. For we have been built up a habitation of God through the Spirit as it is written. And so, Father, I bless your people now. I ask that you would go with them. Bless them this Easter season like they've never been blessed before. This Passover season, oh Father, let them look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Spirit and the Bride say, return quickly, Lord, is our prayer. I bless your people and I proclaim liberty and life to them. And I rebuke the forces of darkness that would plague them. You have no authority. The blood of Jesus covers them, cleanses them, heals them, delivers them, opens prison doors, brings peace to their minds and their hearts through Christ our Lord. And now, Father, we send them forth with your blessing. And until we gather again, may you honor us all by abiding in our midst. For thy glory is a defense. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, amen, amen. Turn around and hug somebody as you go. Let's sing.